I'll be preaching uh, from God's Word today, from the Bible. Uh, yeah, but first, just on a personal note, um, yeah, some of you know that uh, my wife and I are expecting our first child in, in March, um, uh, and, or, and uh, the past two weeks have been pretty rough on us. Uh, Meredith and the baby uh, had to spend quite a bit of time in the hospital. And uh, for a while, we both had the flu. I'm still kind of getting over it right now. And uh, our timeline for our pregnancy has, has changed. Uh, but throughout, throughout, we felt very loved and cared for by, by our families and uh, by our church family here at OCBC, uh, both in your words of encouragement and prayer and, and those of you in the congregation who have uh, sent us meals or reached out to us, we, we really appreciate it, and we're very blessed to be in this church family, so thank you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about contentment and prosperity, which, which is kind of timely since this past Tuesday, unless uh, everything that happened in my life kind of uh, threw off my, uh, my calendar. Uh, this past Tuesday was the Lunar New Year, if you're Chinese, Xin Yang Kuai Le. Uh, my family is Chinese, but, uh, but from Malaysia. I grew up in a family that celebrated Chinese New Year. We were also taught the Bible, and uh, we were taught to worship the God of the Bible. And, and so I'm, uh, there's some, I guess, uh, uh, spirituality aspects of uh, Chinese customs uh, that I'm not familiar with. But I am familiar with the stuff that has to do with money. Uh, you get gifts of money, you give gifts of money, and in fact, uh, a popular New Year's greeting is about prosperity, uh, to say it in Mandarin, uh, though it's shakily, uh, it's gongxi uh, fatsai, which literally means roughly congratulations and be prosperous, depending on which link you click after you put define gongxi fatsai in uh, Google. While you're in Google, uh, you might Google, should Christians say gongzi fatai? Uh, and the first uh, hit you will see is from the Evangelical Times. Uh, that says, uh, talking about Christians, Chinese New Year greetings, uh, um, it's, it is not appropriate, it says, for Christians to wish people gongzi fatai, which uh, refers to tangible or financial wealth for that person. Wishes for peace in the new year or eternal joy from God are, are more appropriate. Uh, well, I don't particularly care at this time to weigh in on that issue, but, but prosperity is a touchy subject. It's uh, not often considered to be an appropriate topic for polite conversation. People don't like talking about how, how much prosperity they have, how they got it, or what they plan on doing with it. But we all have our views on prosperity, and for Christians, we need to be discerning. Uh, there are proponents of extreme views on prosperity, from a complete renunciation of prosperity, including sometimes vows of poverty, uh, to the other side of the uh, prosperity gospel, uh, which teaches that being a faith-filled Christian will result in living like little kings and queens so that everybody will see that you are a child of the king. And those are the extreme views. 
as urban North American evangelicals, uh, I think that uh, we often adopt, either intentionally or unintentionally, uh, tamer views of these teachings. And I think uh, there's two views I kind of see. And the first uh, I would call uh, Christian conservatism, which, uh, which in which Christians are tempted to look at you know, homeless people or uh, the brother and sister who, um, who are struggling to make ends meet or are out of work, and they conclude that this brother or sister must just not be faithful, they must be wasting their money, uh, or they're lazy, they're just not being responsible. And so for people who hold this view, um, being poor is essentially the same as being a bad Christian. And it looks suspiciously uh, like the pull yourselves up by your bootstraps individualism of political conservatism. The result is being middle class is being a good Christian and, and is akin to godliness. And that's what I see on one side. And on the other side, there's a view I, I'd, I'd call a radical Christianity, which is often a reaction to uh, Christian conservatism. It, it often looks like Christians who grew up in middle-class homes and are disillusioned by what they see as worldliness and hypocrisy in, in their home churches and families. And so they decide that even though they're university educated, academically gifted, have lots of opportunities, they intentionally live in the worst neighborhoods in town, uh, they abandon their career paths to work at McDonald's, and they urge other Christians to do likewise, lest they waste their lives and ruin the church's witness. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I see. Uh, Christian conservatism and radical Christianity. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible think, and what does God think of prosperity? And with that question in mind, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's in the Bible. If you got a Bible and you probably turn somewhere in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms and there's Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you're, you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 555. 555, and we're reading from chapter 5, verse 8 to, to uh, 20. Verse 8 says, this is the word of the Lord, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is a gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. 
As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, with much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to uh, enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. The word of the Lord. Uh, before we go on, let's, let's pray and ask for God's blessing. God in heaven, Heavenly Father, uh, we're prone to want to uh, hear rules, to live uh, according to our own traditions, uh, to want to justify ourselves. We find it hard to submit instead to your word, to, uh, to call out to you for wisdom, and uh, to sit under uh, your sovereign plan. And so we ask um, that you would use this time, Lord. May we uh, come to you in worship. May we submit to your word, and may you uh, show us Christ and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, protect us from error and help us to understand and be willing to surrender to your will today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the topics today are uh, prosperity, greed, contentment, and stewardship. Uh, prosperity, greed, contentment, and stewardship. But first, I, I just want to define our terms. When, when I'm going to be using the word prosperity today, I'm talking about material prosperity in this world. Uh, the things uh, that, that uh, Solomon refers to in verse 19, where he says, uh, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. So uh, roughly wealth, possessions, and power. That's what I'm going to be referring to when I talk about prosperity. And when I use the word greed, I mean the selfish desire and pursuit of prosperity for its own sake. A love of prosperity over a love of God and a love of others. That's what I mean by greed. And when I speak of uh, contentment, what I'm referring to is what Solomon talks about in verse 18 where he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So finding joy in the lot that God has given you, that's, uh, that's what I mean by contentment. And finally, when I talk about stewardship, 
talking about being faithful with the gifts that God has given you. The idea is that when God gives gifts, he's entrusting them to us so that we can be faithful with them. So that's what I mean by stewardship. So those are the terms today, prosperity, greed, contentment, and stewardship. And what I see in this passage is that Solomon does not condemn prosperity, but condemns greed. Greed is bad. Prosperity itself is not bad, but is, in fact, a gift from God. And so we should find contentment and practice stewardship. Again, greed is bad. Prosperity is a gift of, from God. And so we should find contentment and practice stewardship. So now let's, uh, let's look at the passage. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. And to summarize what we've uh, looked at in the past weeks, in this book, uh, Solomon takes a really hard look at the human condition. He concludes that life does have a purpose. And life is, in fact, beautiful. He tells us what human life is all about. If you turn to the very end of the book, in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, he says... The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God is judge and king, therefore fear God and keep his commandments. Trust and obey, and as the children's song goes, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. This is Solomon's point, and so far we've seen his reflections as he looks out at human existence and observes a lot of bad stuff. He sees that the world is often a sad place. It's, uh, life is short, confusing, monotonous, often unsatisfying, and furthermore, humans are evil, and we indulge in injustice, oppression, and conflict. But life is also beautiful, and every season is in life is a gift from God above. And even in the midst of evil, God is good. He tests the hearts of man, and he judges, and he will judge wickedness. And this should lead us to worship. This should lead us to worship um, the evil in this world and God's justice should drive us to put our faith in God not in the things of this world, nor in ourselves. As, uh, as it says in chapter 5, verse 7, right before our passage today, it says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Forget dreams, forget words, fear God. Listen and submit to him. That's been the fruit of Solomon's observations so far. And in our passage today, Solomon looks out at the greed of the world, and he, and he gives us three pictures of greed. Three pictures. He sees uh, power abused. He sees possessions consumed. Finally, he sees uh, wealth hoarded and lost. So those, are again, are three pictures. Uh, power abused, possessions consumed, and wealth hoarded and lost. And each picture shows the futility and the evil of greed and also points us towards contentment and stewardship. And 
after these pictures, Solomon explicitly calls us to contentment. So let's start looking at each of these pictures. Picture number one is of power abused. Verse 8 says, Verse 8 says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor, the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. Solomon looks and he sees the poor oppressed, justice not being served, and righteousness not being upheld. And this is bad. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see that authority was given by God to the state to protect the poor, to preserve justice, it's to pr promote righteousness. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 13, uh, he's telling the church to be subject to their rulers, and he says, uh, uh, the civil authorities, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. So God has given the state authority so that they will, they will approve of good conduct and serve God by being an instrument of his wrath on evil, such as oppression, injustice, and unrighteousness. However, however here in chapter 5 uh, of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sees that rulers aren't serving the people. In fact, he says in verse 8, uh, Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. Now, there's a couple of possibilities of what this, uh, this means in the Hebrew, but to simplify it, Solomon is saying that instead of serving the people, the rulers serve each other. They spend their time looking out for one another and have neglected their subjects. In verse, nine, in verse 9, Solomon continues to see this abuse of power. He says, But this is gained for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. This is a difficult verse to in interpret. In your Bible, it might actually say that in the, uh, in the footnote. But some commentators believe that this refers to the king profiting from the cultivation of the land. And in context, what would be being highlighted is that it's not the people who profit, but the king. The laborers in the field, they toil under the heavy hands of their lords, and they do not enjoy the fruit of their labor. Again, the picture is one of greed, of power abused. Instead of the authorities using their power to help their people prosper, they seek to prosper themselves through the toil of their people. Now, this is the story of so many in power, uh, so many men and women with good intentions, in the beginning at least, using their power for the sake of themselves and their political parties instead of for the sake of doing good. It's especially sad because the pursuit of power is like, to use Solomon's saying, a striving after the wind. As we've studied Ecclesiastes, we've talked about uh, what Pastor Dan, I think, has called the breathiness of life. Everything, everything Solomon says is a mere breath 
temporary, elusive, and fleeting. And the pursuit of power is no exception. Those with power end up, like verse 8 says, being an official under another official under another official. And even the amount of power you do have is so easily lost. It's precarious like a house of cards. And so you must expend all your energy guarding your power lest the house falls. The pursuit of power is a mere breath. And at the micro level, you kind of see that in your workplace. Um, now, obviously, the power Solomon is talking about here is not really the same as being the team lead at uh, your office, but the same greed and the same breathiness exists in our workplaces today. People jockeying for position, trying to get their dream job, and of course, even if they get it, they end up spending all their time protecting their position of authority and feeling threatened by those who take it away. Uh, they end up ex still experiencing the vapor-like quality of the greedy pursuit for power. And though we see this, and we see that greed is evil, power is not inherently bad. Power is not inherently bad. Jesus Christ showed us how to steward power. Being equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Jesus chose to use his power to die on the cross as a substitute for the punishment for our sins so that if we would believe in him, uh, we would have eternal life. Jesus used his power to bless others. As a result, God has highly exalted him. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the ultimate example of stewardship, and more than an example, uh, Jesus is a savior. We are, all, we are all greedy oppressors at heart by nature and deserve the wrath, just wrath of God. But thanks be to God that Jesus died to save sinners and so the redeemed can repent of their sins and by faith follow Jesus' example, even enjoying what, whatever power uh, they have been given to use it for good, stewarding it as a gift from God. So yeah, may we look at the example of the humility of Jesus. May causes us, us cause us to repent of our own greed for power, to follow him by faith. So that was picture number one of, of power abused. And the second picture of greed is of possessions consumed. Possessions consumed. If you look at verse 10, says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Solomon says greed for money is insatiable. It's never satisfied. Greed for money is like a mere breath. The satisfaction the greedy seek always eludes them. And then more specifically, if you turn to the next verse, Solomon starts talking about possessions, stuff. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And Solomon means the more stuff you have, the more people there are to share your stuff. You know, you can think of the musician who makes it big, and suddenly there's, 
he, they've got an entourage of family members and friends eating their food, enjoying their houses, and using their stuff. And even at the everyday level, uh, the more stuff you have, the more you have to share. Think about if you buy a house. You go to buy a house, you've got to pay a lawyer, the home inspector, the, you get a, get a mortgage so the bank gets your interest, you have to pay insurance, property taxes, it goes on and on. And most of that stuff isn't even, is before you even get the house. The more stuff you have, the more people there are to share your stuff. Solomon goes on to say, the rest of verse 11, he asks, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And Solomon asks, do you actually enjoy your stuff? If you're a greedy owner, do you enjoy your stuff? Or is that stuff just decoration for you to look at? And this is still a relevant question today. How many people are there with books on their bookshelves that they haven't read? Or that time they went retro and got a record player and a record collection with albums they've played once? Or the person with a house, with a backyard, with a pool, uh, only for their family to have dinner in the backyard twice a year and to use the pool three times a year? You could probably fill in your blank, fill in the blanks with your own pet possessions. I know I can. Stuff upon stuff just to look at. And for those who greedily pursue possessions, is it really worth it? If you look at verse 12, it says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And so Solomon points out that at the end of the day, quite literally, rich and poor go to bed to sleep. They both go to sleep. But the one who labors soundly, uh, labors will sleep soundly whether they're rich or poor. On the other hand, the greedy can't sleep. They're in pain either, possibly from overconsumption, or from anxiety about their stuff. There's an indigestion that comes from knowing you have so much stuff and you love your stuff and so you're worried about your stuff and you know that your stuff doesn't make you feel any better. It's a chasing after the wind. But again, stuff isn't bad. Greed is bad. The car you drive can be a blessing to give your friends a ride home when it's cold. That backyard and that pool, they can be places where you invite your friends and family over for dinner and for, to enjoy a uh, time of uh, friendship and fellowship. God gives us stuff, but he expects us to be faithful, which is too bad because we aren't by nature faithful. Greed, greed is our default setting. So we need God's word to expose our sin, to reveal God who has given us everything we have, and furthermore has shown his generosity to those who believe by sending his son to reconcile us to himself, and to transform us into faithful stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. May we forsake the greedy possession of, uh, greedy, greedy pursuit of possessions, and may God make us faithful stewards of his gifts. And that's the second picture of a picture of possessions consumed. 
And so we've seen uh, power abused and possessions consumed. And the third picture is a picture of wealth hoarded and lost. And, and this third picture is all about money. It's hoarded and then it's lost. And if you look at verse 13, it says, There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So we're seeing a picture of this rich man who, is, who in his greed keeps his money. He hoards it. And this hoarding is to the man's hurt. In the Hebrew, uh, it's the same word for evil. And there's a number, of word, uh, a number of things this might mean. It might mean that the guy had to do something evil to get the money. Or it might mean that the hoarding itself was evil. Or it might mean that uh, the hoarding caused evil in the man's life. But in, any, in all of those cases, uh, the case is that this man's greed was evil. His accumulation of great wealth for its own sake was evil. Not only was it evil, it ended very badly. We see in verse 14, it says, And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Now, it's not clear what this bad venture was. Uh, in the Hebrew, it means something to the effect of evil business. If you have the uh, New Living Translation, it paraphrases it, risky investments. And if you look at the New International Version, it paraphrases it, paraphrases it misfortune. But it's uh, unclear. We, we don't know why, but this rich man lost all of his money. He lost all of it. So much so that verse 14 goes on to say that, uh, and he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. For all the man's work, for all his gaining wealth and hoarding it, he has nothing to show for it. No inheritance to leave. Solomon elsewhere writes in the book of uh, Proverbs that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Uh, he says a good man leaves inheritance to his grandchildren. This man couldn't even leave anything to his son uh, because of his greed. And, and when we are greedy, our money can so easily be lost. The greedy find that their pursuit of wealth is a chasing after the wind. And it's also a chasing after the wind in that it is a vain pursuit. Solomon continues by pointing out something that's true about the rich and the poor, those who manage their money well, and those who lose it all. He says in verse 15, he says, and as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Verse 16 says, this is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? We spend our lives uh, gaining money, but we can't take it away with us. We all leave the way we came, from dust to dust. In the case of this man, this rich man who lost everything, Solomon writes that Worse than this, his loss of money resulted in a life of frustration. 
If you look at verse 17, it says, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness, in anger. Uh, the breathiness of this, of this man's pursuit has led him into a place of anger and despair. And he has cursed himself to live his life in this place of despair all his days. Again, greed is evil. Greed is evil. But, but wealth itself is a gift from God. Wealth may not last in this life, but it can be used to bless others. It can be enjoyed to the glory of, of God and used to do good. But again, we need God to create in us hearts of generosity that reflect the generous heart of Jesus Christ who gave his own life, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So to summarize of these three pictures, greed is bad. Greed is the pursuit of prosperity for its own sake and results in the abuse of power, the idolatrous accumulation and consumption of uh, possessions, and the love of money that often results in evil hoarding and foolish loss. Greed takes the gifts of God and makes them idols. But as we've also touched on, there is a better way. Power and possessions and wealth can be blessings if we enjoy them as gifts from God and steward them for his glory and for the good of others. And that's where Solomon goes in the next three verses. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Solomon calls us to contentment. Solomon wants us to find enjoyment in our lot in life. We are to be happy and enjoy God's gifts, and this includes prosperity. We see this in verse 19, where he says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Prosperity is a gift from God, and we need to be content with God's gifts. And finally, Solomon says that this joy, the joy of, this, of these gifts, this contentment, enriches our lives. It helps us to continue in life. Solomon writes in verse 20, For he will not remember his, the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Contentment is to fill our hearts, to give strength to endure life. Prosperity is a gift from God, and the clear implication of this is surely that we must be good stewards. Contentment and uh, stewardship go hand in hand when you understand that all is from God, everything is a gift. And, and earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has already articulated this idea. If you look at chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them to, than to be joyful 
and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this toil. This is God's gift to man. We are to be joyful, it says, and to do good. Contentment and stewardship. And that's what Solomon calls us to. Greed is bad, but prosperity is a gift from God, and so we should find contentment and practice stewardship. That's my message today, but uh, I'd like to close with five implications. Five implications. Uh, First, greed must be atoned for. Uh, This passage has shown that greed is evil and is one of man's common sins. I hope that you've seen that it's not just, it's it's not a sin that you or I are, uh, are immune from. Furthermore, it is ultimately a sin against God from whom all blessings flow. God will bring every deed into judgment, as it says at the end of the book. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus, If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are still in your sins, and I urge you to repent before God and to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can even talk to someone today about becoming a Christian. Uh, That's implication number one. Greed must be atoned for. Second, greed must be renounced. Whether you are rich or poor, or somewhere in the middle, Uh, we are not to pursue power or possessions or wealth for their own sake. We must check our hearts. We must remind ourselves of the vanity and evil of greed. It is a chasing after the wind, and it hurts others. We must renounce it. Uh, So we must renounce greed. Third, prosperity should not necessarily be renounced. I want to be careful here. We are called, as Christians, to be sacrificial. Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. We are called to be generous. It's better to give than to receive. However, we are not called to renounce prosperity. Prosperity is a gift from God. There's no virtue in throwing God's gifts away for no reason. However, some of you may have other gifts. Perhaps uh, God is blessed you with a desire to to serve in a poor neighborhood. Perhaps God has blessed you with uh, an opportunity to use your gifts and talents in a a third world country. Or with a special gifting in evangelism or uh, ministry that would best be stewarded by you going into full-time ministry and service of the Lord. However, we must evaluate our hearts. This is especially uh, relevant I think uh, today, uh, for young people, uh, my generation and younger, uh, people have identified a problem that they call extended adolescence, a fear of uh, what's been called adulting. I think that that manifests itself sometimes in the church with with young people excusing themselves from using their gifts in in ordinary jobs, getting ordinary paychecks, buying houses and cars, and they, they fear those things, so they baptize their fear with the language of being radical. But it's not radical to avoid adulthood or to avoid maturity or responsibility and the toil that is everyday life. 
Solomon writes that we are to take pleasure in our, all our toil. Life is toil, and life is stewardship. And we must beware of, uh, of the error of self-righteously renouncing God's gifts. So we must not uh, necessarily renounce prosperity. Uh, fourth, prosperity must be understood as a gift, not simply a wage. God gives gifts in varying measures, which means that some Christians will be more prosperous than others, even if they are equally faithful and responsible and mature. We do not help our brothers and sisters pursue contentment by judging them based on their prosperity. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters will be poor, and they will need our help. And we must not just buy in completely to the premise of political conservatism that everyone who is poor is probably just irresponsible. And fifth and lastly, prosperity must be stewarded faithfully. Uh, many in our congregation have been gifted uh, with prosperity, including wealth, possessions, and power, and we ought to be good stewards of those gifts. Paul teaches, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches Timothy to teach the rich. He says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. For those, so for those of you who are prosperous, I urge you to reflect and to check your own life and your own heart to see how you may enjoy your prosperity, but also use it to do good, to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Before we continue our time of worship, uh, I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, paying the penalty of our greed by sending your own son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us what generosity is. Thank you for freeing us through your Holy Spirit, through new life from our greed. And may you give us, through your Holy Spirit, uh, freedom from that greed. But may we also uh, find contentment, be content in our lot in life, May we, may we be good stewards of the things that you have given us. And Lord, may uh, we walk out of here being able to do good and to bless others and to enjoy um, the toil that you have given us in this life. Um, may this be for your glory and for the sake of uh, the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.